0: now that they are out and you are settled, I'll make a statement. We are living, anybody guess what I'm going to say right now? We are living in the last days. Now, many of you have pro- just raise your hand. If you have heard a preacher, a speaker say that at least hundreds of times in your lifetime, raise your hand. Take a look around. If you've heard a preacher, speaker say that hundreds of times, if you think you've heard that thousands of times, raise your hand. Okay. Some of you ain't been alive to hear it thousands of times, but it becomes a phrase that when I said it, I don't think anybody here was going, Ooh, hallelujah. Because we've heard it thousands of times. It's no longer, it is, but it's not, no longer a powerful phrase. It doesn't evoke much emotion, but it's a phrase that is just as true today. As it has ever been. God is soon coming back for his church, who is his bride. And he will be taking those who are ready. Who are ready. And so, with that, I want to speak this afternoon on this topic. And I know I'm anointed because I just said this afternoon instead of this morning. So, I'm off to a good start. If you are a guest here today, we have traded this building for land off of I-35 on the other side, and we're, we're getting ready to break ground, and so we, we are now in an afternoon service instead of our morning service, and so hence the fact that you got to sleep in this morning and, uh, and, and come here today, but if you are a guest, either in person or online, we are so thankful that you have made it a point to be here in this service with us, and we hope that you feel welcome and the presence and power of God. And so with that, I want to speak on this topic. Please get ready. Please get ready. As Jesus stepped into his public ministry, he immediately started just telling parables and trying to get people focused on not just their present situation, but also the things to come and on eternity. And so one parable he tells that you may have heard is Matthew 25, starting at verse 1. It says, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids, Quite the wedding, 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. Now the five who were foolish, they didn't take enough olive oil in their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take extra olive oil, extra olive. extra. I say it olive, oil, olive oil. That one just says oil. But when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they fell asleep. So they were no longer ready. Right at midnight, they were roused by the shout. Look, the bridegroom is coming! Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then five foolish ones asked the others, uh, "Please give us some of your oil, because our lamps have gone out." The others replied, "We don't have enough oil for all of us. Go to the shop and get some for yourselves." Well, guess what? It's midnight okay now they didn't have 24 hour walmart supercenter okay and so the others replied go get some yourself verse 10 but while they were gone to buy oil the bridegroom came now these were people who were interested in meeting the bridegroom who were willing to pay a cost to meet the bridegroom who loved the bridegroom wanted to be a part of this these are not like some just backsliders people not interested Not even good people. No, these are people who wanted to be a part of this, but they were not ready. While they were gone, the bridegroom came, and those who were were ready, those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. It's interesting. You remember another time where God locked the door? I feel like that happened on Noah's Ark. People who were ready were on the boat. People who were not were locked out. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, could you imagine the terror? They stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. I feel like I read something like that in Noah's Ark too. So you, he says, but he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch for you don't know the day or the hour of my return. So Jesus is teaching this to followers, to people gathered, to the crowd who were interested in him. But not everybody's interested. Not everyone who is interested is going to be a part of this. And so he says, listen, you're invited. I'm letting you know that you need to be ready but I'm not going to tell you exactly what the day and the hour is because then you won't live ready. You'll just get ready at that moment. The problem is, is sometimes I see when we show up for church, we might still not be ready if we knew the time and the hour. But he wanted his people to keep watch, to be ready, to stay prepared, to not just enjoy the moment, but to remember what's on the horizon. God has always Loved and cared for his church. Throughout scripture, he continually tried to reach the believer by telling them, keep watch, be ready, stay prepared. Don't just enjoy the moment. Don't just lo- we got to see what's on the horizon. In his desire to get us to focus on eternal things, that he, things that are not yet, but are yet to come, the Lord also gave us the book of Revelation. Revelation is probably, we could argue back and forth, but I would say it's probably. the most intriguing book in the whole Bible. It's filled with graphic pictures of beasts and fire and spiritual battles and symbolism, and many have tried to figure it out and various things that it could mean, and some have great points that are clearly stated in Scripture. has they they say things that you go, well, I see that in Scripture. That's definitely a possibility. And others say things that I go... That's a big jump to go from there to there. But when you go to the beginning of the book, the very first statement found in the book says this This is a revelation from Jesus Christ. So the book's about Jesus. Wow. Sometimes we make it about other things, it's about Jesus. God gave him, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take not taking place now. Okay? And says, so This book's about Jesus, and, and, and we have this book here. It's, it's going to tell us about the things not taking place now, but that are going to take place in the future. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John. John, Apostle John's on the island of Patmos. All the other apostles, they're martyred, they're dead. Okay, John is is still alive. They tried to kill him. He didn't die. Put him on the island of Patmos. God had a plan. In verse 2, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Man, this book's about Jesus. It's about, very clearly in the opening two verses, we see it is about the things yet to come and Jesus Christ. Very clear. That's what the whole book of Revelation, what's Revelation about? Jesus Christ and the things yet to come. That's it. There it is. Again, we see Jesus doing everything he can to get his church ready, ready for the future, ready for end times, ready for eternity, because we, God God knows us. And we tend to focus on the here and the now. That's why when someone says, hey, you know, if I go talk to these 18-year-olds or some of us in our 20s here, not us, not, you know, you guys. Goodness, I still feel like I'm 28. But if I say, hey, you know, it's important to look into disability insurance. Why? I'm invincible. (laughs) It's important to look into life insurance. It's important to, to save. It's important to put into your retirement. But why? I have this money right now, and I could spend it today. It's sometimes hard for us human beings to think about what is on the horizon when we're looking at, well, what about right now? The present, our current circumstance, our mood today, the challenges of the moment. And so God constantly reminds us that this world is soon going to end. And he wants his church to prepare itself. And as you read the book of Revelation, the book does not start with demons and dragons. It starts with the angel of the Lord giving John letters to seven churches. Not unbelievers, not atheists, not backsliders. He gives it to seven churches. Revelation 1 10 and 11 says, It was the Lord's day, and I was wondering, or I'm, I was worshiping in the Spirit. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. That wouldn't freak you out. <laughs> Imagine waking up in the morning, you're just walking through, opening your closet, and that, like that's a good way to start your morning. Better than coffee, right? It said, Write in a book everything you see. And send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So just say seven, send it to seven random churches. No, no. God has a word for these seven churches and send this letter, these these letters to these seven churches. And then check out specifically the red letters. People sometimes really want to emphasize the red letters. The red letters are the word of God. It's all the word of God. Right. But the red letters insinuate that this was something that Jesus Christ spoke. And so here, red letters, Revelation 1.19, write down what you've seen. In red letters, it says both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. So he's telling John, hey, you're going to write down some stuff that's happening right now. And some stuff that is not yet happening, but it is going to happen. Guess what? If Jesus says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. You can say yes, but that takes a lot of faith. And I would agree with you. There are certain things in Scripture that I read and go, wow, that would take a, an element of faith to know that God died for my sin. It would take an element of faith to know that that. that Blood was shed for me. It takes an element of faith to step into that water and have my sins washed away. It takes an element of faith to begin to worship, begin to speak in tongues as the Spirit gives me the utterance. I mean, this takes an element of faith, but if the Lord says this promises unto you and your children and all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call, I'm going to say, well, well, if he said it, it's going to happen. And so... God was never just concerned about where you are today. He is concerned about where you are, but it doesn't end there. Sometimes we are frustrated with God because today is not a good day. Today, if, we, if I said, hey, raise your hand, I'm not going to ask you, but if I asked, uh, raise your hand if you just had or just, a, just a terrible week, I'm guessing we would see a handful of hands go in the air. I don't care if we're believers. We love God. He's here. We felt his presence, felt his power. I can say, who here has got a great week? Not every hand would be like, yeah, it was wonderful. There'd be some hands that you'd be like, who had a terrible week? Me, right here. Can I talk to you about it? I mean, it might be therapeutic for us. We just don't have time for it. And so he was never just concerned, though. About but where we just are today because he has an end result in mind. He has a journey. He has a plan. He has he has a roadmap ahead. And his his destination is eternal. Right. Whereas the destination of our frustration is sometimes just, I'm just frustrated about the rest of this day. Yeah. And so we get caught in the today, right now, what I'm dealing with, what my emotions are. Listen, can I tell you something as respectfully as possible? Your emotions were given to you by God. They're part of your being and it can be a beautiful thing, but your emotions are some of the filthiest liars in the world. And so if you live your life based on your emotions, you are going to be on one crazy roller coaster that you're never going to get off. Okay? And so We look, and so he's saying, I'm not just interested in today. I'm interested in not only where you are now, but what is coming. And so for the rest of the chapters, second and third chapters of Revelation, God lays out commendations and condemnations for these churches. Now, if you don't know the difference, a commendation is like a compliment. You're doing something well. I'm really liking how you act in this area. A condemnation is, you're not doing well, and this is something that needs to change. Now, I thought God was just supposed to just accept us all for who we are. He loves you for who you are, but he loves you enough to say, here's a commendation. You're doing some things well. Here's a condemnation. You need to change some things, and I'm thankful for both, and so Out of the seven churches of Revelation, God specifically calls for five out of seven to repent. Really? I thought he was calling like the unbelievers to repent or the backsliders to repent or the atheists to repent. But in his letter to churches, five out of seven, he says... Repent. And to all those churches but one, he also praised them for things they were doing right. Now, wouldn't it stink to be the one out of seven churches that you just didn't even get? Uh, one thing you're doing right, uh, I got nothing. <laughs> it's like, man, but I do have a long list of what you need to, to fix. He praised those other churches, though. Folks, just because we are part of God's church, doing a lot right, staying faithful in most things, does not remain, does not mean that there's no longer a need for repentance inside the church. You did not just repent one time. When Peter said, repent and be baptized, he's talking about the initial plan for God's salvation for your life. But once you went ahead and checked that box, that does not mean that, you know, I just went ahead and dumped dumped that figurative blood of Calvary on my life. And now it just kind of sits around. I'm going out to have fun. I don't have to repent again because I went ahead and applied that blood. Well, that's his initial plan, but there's a continued journey, and, and, and the church is still occasionally called to repent. God spent so much of his word trying to get us to, our, to examine ourselves, to make sure we look and verify that we're headed in the right direction. If all we do is just come to a Wednesday service, a Sunday service, or maybe we're just Sunday only people, which you should be here on Wednesdays too. I just slide that in whenever I can. There's some good stuff going on Wednesday nights. That's where that's where teaching builds strong Christians. But if we say, I'm gonna come on Wednesdays and Sundays and I'm just gonna do my thing and I I I I I I went ahead and came to that altar. I've been filled with the spirit and Bless God, I pay my tithes, I serve in a ministry. But every once in a while in the church, God has to stop and call the church not only to repent, but to say, just examine which direction you're heading right now. And so he calls us to do that. And to make sure that we're heading in that right direction, and when we're not headed in the right direction, because the spiritually mature person doesn't just wait until they get into a jam and go, "I'm a God, where are you? I need you, help me." But a spiritually mature person can go like this as they're walking and going, "I don't feel like I'm to disaster zone. I'm not. I'm not code red alert. You know, pull the pull the." pull the emergency lever, but I'm at a point where I'm going, if I keep going like this, I'm probably not going to be in a very good place. You know, I've, I've kind of stopped reading scripture. I've kind of stopped fasting. I've stepped away from some ministries. I, I, I touched on this last Sunday. I touched on this, that I've kind of, I've kind of, I've kind of stopped and and I've kind of actually, I think it might have been on Wednesday. It was on Wednesday. Sorry. Sometimes you preach so many messages, you forget which one you preached where. So I've, we can all feel good because I know you forget my messages too. So it's all right. But sometimes we can stop and go. Well, oh, hang on. I was heading down this road, and I kind of got flipped around. And I, feel, I feel like if I keep going this direction, I never thought I'd fade from God, but. If I keep on this path, it's probably not going to end well. And so guess what repentance does? It's doing exactly what it did when you first repented. Just a change of direction. All right, God, somewhere, somehow, I mean, you might be sitting here going, you don't understand. I have gotten so off course. There have been things that have slipped back into my life. Pastor, if I was going to tell you the truth, they didn't even just slip back in. I actually opened the door and looked for them. I invited them back in. And so you're sitting here feeling guilty. Maybe you're watching online. You're going, I don't even belong a part of the church. I don't think God wants me. I didn't just sin against him. Like, I purposely walked away. I, 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 didn't, I can't even say I messed up. Oh, sin, I missed the mark. No, I hit the exact mark I was aiming. But your journey is just one. It's just one turn. you're, you're, You're one turn away from getting back on path, back on course. You're one turn. One turn. But the enemy wants to say... Why waste your time? Because even if you turn, you are so far from where you used to be. You're so far from where you want to be. Yeah, the journey of a thousand miles starts with just one step. And so for me, I know that when I turn, man, I didn't really change my location. I'm still going to be dealing with some junk and some messes maybe. I'm Maybe after church in the morning, there's some things I'm trying to still figure out. But you know what? I am going in this direction and certainly I might it might take me some time to get back to where I want to be but you know what I'm done going that way I'm done going that direction I'm turning today and I'm heading in a new direction and that's what repentance is But you look at what God says to these five of seven churches, to the church in Ephesus. I want you, I don't want to just reference this. I want you to see this. The church in Ephesus, I could probably do a whole series just on the seven churches, and I might do that at some point. I've never done that, but I I really need to do that. But the church in Ephesus, he says, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Man, what a message that would have been if he had just stopped right there. Look how far you've fallen, see ya. That's why even when you preach a message of conviction, and even it's the condemnation, not the commendation, but the condemnation, it's the change. My dad always told me, they said, a message from God. Sometimes people would lay hands on me at an altar. I think I told you, one lady one time, she laid hands on me and she said, I had a dream and you went to hell and got up and walked away. As a teenage kid, that shook me. I was like, what? And so I ran to my parents, like, I'm going to hell. I'm there. My dad said, Gary, a message from God, because you've probably received messages. Like, What's, how do I know it's from God or not? A message from God will always end with hope, even if it's called to repent, to change, God will always say, You're wrong. You do this, blah, blah. But if you will turn, if you will repent, if you will change, He always, you've never gotten to the point where you are just so far. He, he can't reach you no more. Yeah. And so, He says, he says you, you don't love me as He as did. Look how far you've fallen. But He doesn't end there. He says, Turn back to me. And do the works you did at first. If you were here Wednesday, I talked all about not being afraid of the dark. But the key is, you got to go back and listen to Wednesday if you missed. And then come this Wednesday, hallelujah. But I'm going to sneak that in just a few more times, this message but he says if you just just do the things that got you to where you need to be in the first place you're not going to just turn and then be like i'm still not reading my bible i'm still not fasting i'm still not serving i'm still not giving i'm still not praying in the morning you're just going to turn right back at some point but when i turn and say repent turn and do the things i did at first It's turning and doing things that I know I need to be doing. He says, if you don't repent, I'm going to come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. So a church could actually get to the point where it's no longer identified as God's church. There are churches all over the United States of America that I'll tell you, God does not call his church. They might call themselves God's church. That does not mean arrogant or anything like that. I say that kindly, but what I'm saying is if a church does not follow the will and the plan that God lays out in his scripture, and he says, I demand obedience, and a church says, we don't have to obey this, 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 and this, that's not God's church. And so he says, if you don't do the things you're called to do, then he says, I'm going to remove your lampstand. Then look what he says to the church in Pergamum, Revelation 2.16. By the way, when you read this, you sound real smart say, Revelation, it's the revelation of God. This is not, let's go to Revelations. It's just one revelation. It's Revelation. Revelation, Revelation 2.16. It's not Revelations. It's just, not, just one revelation, not multiple <laughs> Revelations. That's just a little piece. That was free. That, I, that, you didn't even pay for that one. Revelation 2.16. First thing he says, Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth, my mind. You know what's called a sword in Scripture? The word of God. Thyatira, verse 21, 221, he says, I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Is there a chance right now that God is not coming? Oh, God's coming back. The time is short. Is there a chance that everything that you have heard people say thousands of times is absolutely true? And there is only one reason why he has not yet come. And that's simply this. I am giving you time to repent. I'm giving you Time. repent but straight up she doesn't want to turn from immorality why? because when immorality enters our human soul and our psyche and we taste it sometimes we say but it's fun and it's good and I just am not ready to turn away from this yet Sardis, Revelation 3 2 and 3 he says wake up Interesting, Matthew 25, they went to sleep instead of being ready. There's a theme throughout scripture. Wake up, strengthen what little remains. For even what is left is almost dead. Man, this ain't, wow, this is some straightforward stuff. There's not not a lot left there but strengthen what little is still there. I find your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. There's that call again. It's not just repent. It's not just turn, but do this and begin to do the things you used to do. Do this and go back to what you knew. So he says, repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you as suddenly as an unexpected as a thief. Just like he said in Matthew 25, he's saying the exact same thing again in Revelation. I'm telling you, he says, repent, repent turn, get back to the things you know to do, and if you're not going to do it, you're not going to be ready when I come, because I'm not, come, I'm not going to tell you, hey, just FYI, I'm going to be back in 20 minutes. Yeah. He says, I'm going to come as an, unexpectedly as a thief to the church in Laodicea, verses 19 and 20 of chapter 3. He says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. We don't like it. When my dad would give me a spanking, he says, I'm giving you this because I love you. I'd be like, can you please not love me for a little while? (laughs) Yes, I did survive spankings and turned out okay. So be diligent. And he says, and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door. And knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'm coming in. We're going to share a meal together as friends. God says, when I knock, if you just let me in, we're, we're, we're not, you're, I'm, you're not just 7 we're friends. But he says, you need to turn. Turn from your indifference, he tells the church of Laodicea. <laughs> There's this incredible theme to churches in the last days. And we are a church. Of the last days. And so we have got to take this so serious. As to say. God if, if you're speaking the same things. To these churches of the last days. And we're a church of the last days. What are you calling us to do? And he's saying. I'm calling you to turn. To get back to the things that you once did to get back to the things and go the direction that you once were going, and at some point you got turned around, and I want you to get back to that because I'm coming back soon and I'm giving you a chance to get things right. I feel the power and presence of God right now. Just pause for a moment, close your eyes, raise your hands if you're comfortable, and just begin to say, God, help my human spirit right now to receive your word. Jesus, help me to receive revelation, God. Help me not to just close off and defend myself and justify things. Help me right now to receive the word that you're trying to speak to me, that you're trying to speak to the entire church, Lord. Help me, God, to get ready. As we move into this book of prophecy and revelation about end times, eternity, heaven and hell, the last days, we begin reading letters where Jesus is clearly telling his churches to repent, turn from their ways, recommit, remain faithful, And, and from there we begin to read through dreams and visions that... God, that God gives John, and John's trying to write these things down, and he's trying to describe these things, and people could say, I wish John would have made it a little more clear. John probably wishes John would have made it a little more clear, but God was speaking to him in visions, and he was sending this angel to speak these things, and he's trying to record these things as God was giving it to him, and he probably didn't even fully understand everything that he was. He was just putting down what God told him to say, and, and what God showed him, but by Revelation 6, We're reading about what is called the tribulation. That is God's wrath being poured out upon the earth. And I know people say, why would any good God do this? Ain't fair. I don't want to believe any of that stuff. But you just read through a scripture where God says, hey, I want you to be ready. Here's my plan for your salvation. This is exactly what I want you to do. And if you do this, you're going to be saved. If you don't, you're not going to be saved. And here's what not being saved looks like. And here's what salvation looks like. And here's I'm going to give you letters to churches so that you can see what I want you to do and the way I want you to live in the church. And and so he lays out all these things about plan for salvation, how the church should look how we should not look, ways that we should be separate. And he lays these things out. And then we say, God, it's not fair that you're going to punish me for not following everything else you just laid out. Why is that not fair? He loves you enough that he robed himself in flesh, died on a cross, gave you the chance to respond to his grace. And then he tells us everything and says, be ready. And so he eventually reaches the point where he comes back for his church. His wrath is being poured on the rest of the earth. And John describes this destruction, this tribulation in three separate categories. The seals, the trumpets, and the vials. The vials are also called bowls. And so you have seals, trumpets, and bowls or vials. And as we read through these chapters of destruction, it's crazy. You get in Revelation, it's just like, and then he did this, and this blew up, and these people died, and this rained down from heaven. You're just like, okay, daily reading. I'm trying to get through Revelation. My Lord, help me not. I don't know, understand what I'm reading, but I just don't want to live in it. That's all I know. And through these chapters, we can see sometimes, we can fly through this, but by the other day, I was reading about the vials and the bowls in Revelation 16, and I noticed God starts saying the same thing over and over. And whenever God repeats himself, my little antennas go up. Revelation 16, 8, and 11, 8 through 11, Then the fourth angel, we're in the middle of the bowls or the, or the vials, and it says the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, causing it to scorch everyone with its fire. I'm, I'm guessing there's a lot, there's not a lot of churches in America today that are reading their text from Revelation 16, 8. Just guessing. Everyone was burned by this blast of heat. And they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues. I remember reading another story where God had control over plagues. It's almost like the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And it says, God had control over all, but they did not repent of their sins and turn to God and give him glory. Does that insinuate that There was a chance to turn to God and give him glory. Certainly seems so to me. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And his kingdom was plunged into darkness. His subjects ground their teeth in anguish. And they cursed the God of heaven for their pains and sores. But they did not repent of their evil deeds and turned to God. We are stupid. Govern human beings. Scripture says God had control of everything. He starts off saying, write a letter to the churches. Here's what I'm calling for you to do. Just let me in. Just repent. Just turn and do the things you used to do. In 16 chapters later, God's pouring out his wrath upon the earth and what's he still saying? If they just would repent kept blaming me and they kept cursing me and, and they just all oh, their evil deeds, they just they continued, they refused to humble themselves and take acknowledgement. My dad used to say, oh I would blame everybody. I, my dad he'd say stop and I'd say stop stop. Maturity is when you can finally say, You're right, I was wrong and I'm sorry without any other excuses. And so I learned to try to take initiative, to take ownership of my failures and my mistakes. And God still is trying to teach us that. In the middle of all this, look what God has John write, Red Letters of Christ, a reference back to the principles and the sayings of Matthew 24 and 25. Revelation sixteen-eight. Look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. There it is again. Blessed are all those who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready. Man, that sounds familiar, too. When he said, eat the Passover lamb, way back when they were in Egypt at the time of Passover, And the death angel was going to go through the streets of Egypt. He said, here's how I want you to eat your Passover meal. Have your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. I don't know about you, but late at night, I don't think people are keeping their their, their shoes in their feet. You don't sleep with your shoes on your feet, staff in your hand. But that was insinuating. When you eat the Passover lamb... One day there's going to be a new Passover lamb, and when that Passover lamb comes, I want you to connect that back to the literal Passover lamb you ate, because you need to be ready when that Passover lamb comes onto the scene. Jesus Christ stepped on the scene as the Passover lamb, and he's still calling people to be ready, just like he did in the Old Testament when they were sitting around a table eating a Passover lamb in Egypt. God is still saying... I wanted my people to be ready back then. I wanted my people to be ready in the Gospels. And I want my people to be ready in Revelation. And I want my people to be ready in 2022. Because we are getting so consumed with all the things that are going on around us. Those things are going on around us because God has a plan. And he's coming back soon. But he's writing and speaking to his churches. And he's saying... Turn, get back on track, and get ready for what is coming. The only reason you need to be ready, the only reason I haven't come yet is because I am giving you a chance to turn. And he says... They keep their clothing they, so they don't walk around naked and ashamed. Jesus says there's blessing to those who are watching for him. He is saying, "There's in the middle of John writing, he's saying there's a total lack of repentance. But then he stops and celebrates those who are ready and who repent. Part of being ready as a believer. I've heard messages my whole life, be ready, get ready, God's come back. What, what am I supposed to do? I'm in church. I raised my hands today. I dropped something in the offering, and I served in the ministry. What do I need to do? But part of being ready as a believer is examining oneself. You can't just attend a church and come out. Oh, yeah, you got to keep looking. Where, who am I? Every once in a while, in your prayer time, you got to stop and say, God, who am I right now, and where am I going? Who am I right now, and where am I headed? If I keep on this same path, doing the same things that I'm doing right now, where am I going? And I believe God's reaching to someone right now because he loves you, but you're not going in a good direction. And that's not meant to be a bash you over the head. That is the God of love who is saying that right now, if you keep going in the same path, it's not leading to good things. And so part of being a believer is examining oneself. It's keeping watch. It's being prepared. It's not just focusing on the present and forgetting eternity. Instead, it's living a life of repentance, of one where occasionally I say, you know what, I'm not going in a good direction. I need to stop. I need to turn. And I got to say, where did I slip up here? You know what? It doesn't even matter. I just got to get back to the things that I once did. I once was a person who would pursue God in an altar, and now I'm skipping all calls. I once was a person who never, ever, ever would skip a chance to begin to worship Him. And now I've heard all these songs and I've kind of just gotten used to them. I There's never a person who would see someone pursuing God and not walk up and begin to pray with them. I was a person who used to teach Bible studies and brought people to church, but somewhere my my my, my, my flame just flickered out a little bit and I don't know how and when it happened, but I got to turn and I got to get back to the things that I once did. I got to get back and in the word. I got to get back into seeking the face of God. I got to get back and find myself a Bible study to teach. I got to get back to being a worshiper. I got to get back in all the ministries that I've stepped away from. I got to get back And then after the destruction of the seventh bull, look at the response once again, Revelation sixteen twenty one. 21. There was a terrible hailstorm and hailstones weighing as much as 75 pounds. You think you got a hailstorm here? No, 75 pounds fell from sky unto people below and they cursed God, because of the terrible plague of the hailstorm, it was always, God, let me do this. God, the minute that you start having bad things and everything's blaming God, God, you did this. Why does God let that happen? Like, God doesn't see. You better be careful because usually once you're blaming God for everything, it will reveal the state and the present condition of your own heart. They would not repent. They would not examine themselves. It was just always, God did this and God did that, and I'm blaming God and cursing God. Could it be that God could be sending something your way to try to drive you to your knees? God is coming back. We are living in the last days and time is short. Yeah, you've heard that about 1800 times, but let me make it 1802. God is coming back. We're living in the last days and time is short. Certainly, I'm speaking today to a group of people who are part of a church, part of the church, just as John was writing to people who are part of churches. But just because you and I are part of a church does not mean that we no longer have place or need for repentance. When you read through the letters to all seven churches, God gets in their faces and he doesn't mince words. And in this day and age, nobody gets in anybody's face unless it's on social media because you're too weak to do it in front of them or in person. But God, he, he seems to get in our faces, and he doesn't mince words. He says, time's short. I love you, but I will need you to align yourself, because if you don't obey and follow my word, there's not a part for you. He calls them to turn, to recommit, to humble themselves, to return to their first love, as he did in Genesis or Revelation 2. To do things they used to do to repent. In each church, they had that choice to and they and they said, I'm either gonna get bitter or I'm going to obey. And today I understand that it's kind of a risky message. You know, I'm I'm saying you need to turn. Uh, it would have been much easier to just say, God's love, he loves you, you love him, let's find an altar. And and God is love. And I I'm gonna preach messages like that, but but every once in a while God's gonna say, No, no, you're right, I'm love. And the reason I'm preaching this today, and the reason God's reaching to us is because he loves us so much, and he's saying, I'm coming back soon. And if you're not headed in the right direction, you're not coming with me and I want you to come with me. So today, if you're watching online, if you're still with us, if you're here today, you could say, man, oh, man, that was crazy. He don't normally preach like that. I don't necessarily agree with I think it's just a little bit too in people's face. That's fine. You go ahead and give me two stars on Google Review. That's fine. That's up to you. That's what people do today. And I love you, and I hope that you come back, and I hope that you keep worshiping with me. But, you know, at the end of the day, I really don't care because I've got to stand in this pulpit. I've got to preach the truth. I'm not preaching for Google Reviews. If I have empty chairs in the pew, empty chairs in the church, I want to see them filled but not at the expense of preaching a watered down message that doesn't really call anybody to change. And so God's calling for us, and and it's your response. It's your heart. It's your decision whether you'll get bitter, whether you'll move on to another church, find something that's a little encouraging, uplifting more than this. I don't know. To refuse correction. To embrace society. To keep living in denial and saying, ah, it's fine. It's not a big deal. Or you can find an altar today, and you can make a commitment. You can do the things that he said to the five churches. You can say, today's the day that I turn. Today's the day that I recommit. Today's the day that I, I humble myself. Today's the day that I find a place to pray. Today's the day that I make some commitments and some of the things that I got away from that I used to do and I don't even know it doesn't matter when or where I got away from but I got to get back to them. I got to repent because that is the first step to get ready to please get ready. Revelation may not be as different of a book as we, the rest of the Bible as we initially thought. It's a book where God is once again reaching to his people, telling them what's going to happen if they repent, what's going to happen if they don't. It's an account of a God who still wants his people to keep their eyes on eternity and not present circumstances. It's the same God who said to Adam, who told you you're naked? What did you eat from the tree? The same God that came to Cain and said, Cain, if thou do as well, wilt thou not be accepted? It's the same God who's reaching throughout the sands of time to every generation of humanity that says, listen, I'm a God that's just. I'm a God that demands obedience. I don't demand perfection, but I do demand repentance. I do demand that my humanity says, I can't do this alone. I need the blood of Calvary. I need to be washed. I need to be forgiven. I need to be set free. I need you, God, right now. And as he continues to call us to get ready and stay ready and live ready. And one of the biggest ways that we do that is to do just what I'm asking you to do right now. And that is to find an altar. To remove yourself from a place of comfort. I know that you could sit there and say, yeah, whatever. It ain't me. I don't need that. I'm not ready. And that is fine. I pray to God at some point your heart changes. But to the person who's sitting here right now feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That is feeling God reaching to you and calling you into greater depths because you might say well oh, I think I'm alright I I'm think I'm doing okay just remember backsliding begins when you stop moving forward And so to the person that's sitting here, that's feeling that, I'm inviting you to find a place to come to this altar to where you deny everything else, block everything else out of your mind and bow a knee and raise a hand and shed a tear maybe and say, my God, I need you this afternoon. My God, I need to examine myself today. I don't know what you're waiting for, but it's here. This is the altar call. This is the point where you as a young man, a young woman, an elder," man and elder woman says, I got to find a place to pray. Because God today is calling not just the atheist, the backslider, the unbeliever. God's calling the church to repent. God's calling the church to get on her face before Him. God's calling the church to examine her direction. God's calling the church to humble herself and turn from her wicked ways. God's calling the church to begin to pursue the things that she once knew. God's calling the church back to her first love. God's calling the church to be the one that says God I need you. I can't change the world with the current path I'm on. I can't change the world I can't make disciples with the current direction that I'm heading. God I pray cleanse me, wash me, help me to turn. Oh God help me to look at the direction I'm going. If I've stopped serving I gotta get serving. If I've stopped giving I gotta get given. If I've stopped praying I gotta get praying. If I stop getting in the word, I got to get back in the word. If I stop fasting, I got to get fasting again. If I stop watching my, keeping my eyes pure with the things that I've been viewing, I got to change what I'm putting in front of my eyes. If I stop listening to the godly things I used to listen to and I'm filling my ears and my mind with other things, I got to change it. There's some things that I got to change. Because God is calling the church to repent.